0: My name is Jason Rosario and I invite you to join me in open and vulnerable conversations about what's on the heart and minds of men. This is Hey Jason. A senior vice president and editor at large at Black Enterprise, Alfred Edmund Jr. has been a steward of black culture for over 30 years. As one of the key architects of the BE Modern Man of Distinction campaign and the subsequent Black Men Excel Conference, Alfred has a passion for creating safe spaces for black and brown men to heal, communicate, and grow together. I got a chance to link up with Alfred recently to talk about the future of black enterprise and the Black Men Excel Conference. What's going on, everybody? My name is Jason Rosario, and welcome back to another episode of Hey Jason, the podcast. And today I'm sitting with none other than Mr. Alfred Edmund Jr. Um, and for those that don't know, Mr. Alfred Edmund Jr. he is a legend in the game in the digital media space. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let him chime in shortly, but he is a senior vice president and executive editor at large at Black Enterprise. So Alfred, thanks for being here with me today. Jason, thank you so much for having me, this is great. Of course, and we started this conversation last year in Florida at Black Men Excel, and I'm excited to have the continuation of that here in New York. Uh, because we have a lot to talk about, no doubt. Um, not not only about kind of your journey, what's been happening since the last time we spoke, but also what we're working on and and the intersections of that uh, and how that is important for black men in particular uh, in today's time, no doubt. So I want to get into all of that, but starting in the beginning, right to the to the extent that you can kind of walk us through where you've been um, and, and the journey, what the highs and lows were like to get to the point of leading content for such a, uh, a landmark and an iconic publication that is Black Enterprise. Tell us about that journey. Well,
1: I usually tell people, I can't say it's a dream come true because I never had a dream this good. I, did, I didn't plan it this way. Um, I'm the oldest of uh, five children originally. One, one of my siblings passed away um, when he was an infant of a divorced single mother um, on the Jersey Shore, Long Branch, New Jersey, um, identified as academically gifted um, and artistically gifted, um, trained artists, um, by preschool. So I always kind of got that message that I was going to go, probably go to college and do things. No one knew how that was going to be done, being raised on public assistance in a low income household, but it was, that was the assumption. Um, so. Um, Ultimately did go to college, Rutgers University, Rutgers College, majored in art, never took a journalism course, did not know that despite my gift for writing that that was something that I would end up doing, but I was, I got involved in campus politics, in particular black students, um, the black student movement at Rutgers, I was the chair of the African Student Congress, I ended up becoming the editor of the Black Voice Baliqua now it's called just The Voice, um, which is the black and Latino student publication. Again, didn't plan it, I actually got bullied. Onto the staff (laughs) to serve and then I got bullied into taking over the (laughs) paper. and uh, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me Like I dragged kicking and screaming um, to the party Um, The the front page of my first issue as editor-in-chief of the black voice still hangs in my office to this day I've kept it everywhere. I've gone to remind myself of um, You know the path that I took to get here and and how a lot of times what's best for you is better than what you can think of for yourself Um, so graduated from Rutgers Um, most of my experience in media was campus newspapers. I had a column in the Daily Target, which is the mainstream daily newspaper at Rutgers, that spoke about black student issues. I was very involved in the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and, and, and the typical things when you go to a predominantly white university, not enough faculty, not enough courses, not enough financial aid. So all those battles um, when I was at Rutgers. Uh, but it was still was the, the best five years I ever had. I mean, in terms of learning how to be a leader, um, learning about different cultures, Growing myself, so you know, it, as much as it was much about struggle in many ways, it was still the most fun thing I ever had. I still have close relationships, I'm still a very active alumni at Rutgers. Graduated from Rutgers, um, started out, um, ended up starting out with black newspapers. Um, even my first job was at Dasbury um, Park Press, which is the, the daily where I grew up. Um, got a job at Big Red News, which is now called the New York Beacon. Um, ended up being put in charge, me, me and another new college graduate, not because we were the best, we were the cheapest. <laughs> they would lay everybody cheap off labor. and keep the cheap labor, right. and we, they left us in charge, and then we redid the paper, and next thing you know, I was the, the youngest editor-in-chief of a black um, weekly newspaper in the city at 23, 24, um, and that kind of put my name on the map in New York. Um, eventually went on to my first magazine job, on Modern Black Men, which now ties tremendously to what we're both you and I are doing now, but it was an effort to create a media platform to celebrate black men. Um, It was kind of a fashion lifestyle magazine for black men. I was the number two editor there at age 26. Um, And that got me on the national map. I wrote five cover stories, um, a bunch of other stories, interviewed Spike um, Spike Lee, Michael Jordan, before he was Michael Jordan, uh, cover stories on Miles Davis, which is still the most fun thing I've ever done. And that kind of brought me to the attention of Black Enterprise. Came to Black Enterprise as a news editor in 1987. Um, thought I'd be there two or three years. My goal was to get to GQ or Esquire. That was my my original plan because um, I
0: love fashion. And I love style. Um, For those that can't see, clearly you can't see Alfred, but he's rocking the dopest bow tie I've seen. So sh- yeah. so when he says style is important, style is yeah, important. Yeah, it is very important to me. <laughs>
1: um, so anyway, I got to Black Enterprise. Yeah. turned out to be the right fit. Um, it, it, it fit my mission orientation in terms of, um, fighting for the advancement and the recognition of black excellence um, and, and progress across practically every area of, of uh, endeavor. It fit my, my uh, excellence, no excuses mindset, which is what the founder of uh, Black Enterprise, Earl Graves Sr., who's now retired, it was like, we, we, you know, you just said you were special if you could work here and excel here. Um, eventually became editor-in-chief um, maybe about seven or eight years after I got here, ran the magazine for 13 years, um, made the jump to digital ahead of everybody in our industry. And I remember it was me and the editor of Business Week at the time. Everybody thought we were crazy, um, moved over to be editor, the first editor-in-chief of BlackEnterprise.com, um, and then since then, going on to be a true multimedia um, aficionado. Um, Butch Graves, our current CEO, calls me media agnostic. And that's part because I didn't take a journal, I didn't go through journalism, particular journalism um, path to get to where I am. Um, I tell people I'm a mixed martial artist in media. I want to know all the forms and I want to master all the forms. Um, And as a result, I got very involved in social media very early as well, particularly on Twitter and um, LinkedIn. Um, Later, uh, I joined Facebook a little later than everyone else. And of course, I'm on Instagram and I, I just believe in whatever way we can whatever platforms, tools, and weapons we can use to inform and empower, enrich one another, it doesn't matter what it is. It matters that we get the word out to people to help them move to change their lives.
0: Yeah, and and I think what resonates with me just hearing your story is that for all intents and purposes, the work chose you. You didn't choose the work. In terms of coming from an art background, thinking that that's what you were gonna do, falling into journalism, it sounds like that just kind of chose you as you went but would you say that your passion is journalism and storytelling, or is it more inspiring, particularly black and brown men, to be better men? My
1: passion is, what I recognized when I was editor-in-chief of the newspaper at Rutgers, at, of the Black Voice, was the particular kind of power that comes when you can make people think about what they see about themselves and others differently, and then take different actions as a result. So it's, a, it's about teaching but not just teaching for the sake of having information, but t- helping people to see things in a way that makes them dis- make different decisions and better decisions about their lives. It turns out most of my work has been you know, with black audiences, whether it's in college or professionally, but I'm passionate about teaching in general. In fact, I just launched um, a, a Destination Success Masterclass series where I literally teach entrepreneurs on a monthly basis in Newark. Um, you go to growingzone.com forward slash success series because it's this love of Somehow getting information from here, packaging it properly, you know, almost like food, and then serving it here and knowing it's going to make you stronger, better, healthier. Um, I call myself the success because it's, it's all about that. So, so it, it's not limited to black men or black, even black people, but it's me knowing that all the skills and abilities that I have and the passions that I have um, are connected by this idea that we can live better more effectively healthier lives and make the world a better place as a result.
0: Yeah, and so throughout that, what did you learn about yourself? What's maybe one or two lessons that you look back and you're like, look, I'm really happy that this happened to me because X happened.
1: Well, I mean, some things I knew very early on because it was planted in me early. Um, First of all, there's nobody bad like me. People, there ain't nobody bad like me. I say that all the time, because it's true. Um, I know it's good to be me, and the only times I ever made mistakes in life is when I've forgotten that lesson, That when I started thinking it wasn't so good to be me, or it was better for me to be somebody else or to be different. Um, so those early lessons carried me through. Um, another early lesson that my mother told me, and I don't even know if she knew what she meant when she said it, but I've carried it with me since. She's like, everything you allow yourself to learn before you, it, that everything you allow yourself to learn, you will use it before you die. And when I first heard that, I was like eight or nine, and and I, I adopted that. Uh, I'm going to learn everything I can. It's so like I can live as long as I can. But it's played itself out to be true. I mean, if I could tell you how many times I had the right answer, simply because I have a natural curiosity about things. I'm, one that, I'm that dude that watches Jeopardy and gets 90% of the answers and I don't even know where I learned it from. So those are the early lessons, uh, and, and then this idea that just because you can't always be the best doesn't mean you shouldn't always give your best, which is another le- lesson from my mother and, and, of course, some a couple of teachers and mentors along the way. So first is this thing about excellence, and excellence wherever you are, and not perfection, which is a different thing, which is not good, but excellence. Bring your best wherever you go. And then um, after that, it was I'm good at everything I try because I work hard at everything I try. I believe in work. I don't, I don't need to be good at the first time I do it. Um, and that formula of willingness to try, willingness to do your best, and then knowing that if you keep doing it, your best over and over and over again, you will master it, that's perfect for media. Because media, you're only as good as your last broadcast, your last tweet, your, whatever it is, no matter how brilliant it was, it's not. it doesn't mean anything after it's been. And so what I now know in hindsight is that my whole way of looking at the world and what excites me um, is, is this idea that no matter how good I am, and I'm damn good at what I do, I can get better. Um, my hobby is bodybuilding. Uh, I, I'm competing again as a natural again. Um, and what I love about it is that no matter how old you get, if you eat right and you train right, you can get better. And, and so everything I love about media and, and, and the things that I do is about this idea that as long as I'm taking another breath, as long as, as my wife says, as long as you can breathe and learn, you can get better. I mean, I love that idea. Like, I like, I'm like, I, I'll be 60 in March. Like, I can't wait to see what that's gonna look like. But you only can have that excitement whether you're producing a podcast, whether you're um, writing an article, whether you're doing a, a radio show, uh, I co-host a, um, a, a syndicated radio show. If you, if you rest on Yesterday or even today And you don't think about what you could do to be better tomorrow Then to me, and I don't think it's necessarily true for everybody But life begins to lose meaning I, I, I get excited by Even the battles Like I always talk about the glory of battle When the deadline needs to be made Or when you, know, you don't have the resources Or when an event's not going to go You know All the things that you got to face to live life You can either let it beat you down Or in my case, I'm like, I'm superhuman And this is what superhumans do And sometimes they're going to win, sometimes they're going to lose But I'm never going to stop Uh, until I am in fact stopped and ain't
0: nobody stopped me yet so yeah there you go (laughs) and and talking about excellence and getting better you've presided over the evolution of black enterprise right from a print magazine to a digital publication tell us about that uh, and tell us about what you're looking to do going forward you're doing a lot already in terms of introducing different types of programming but where is what is the future of black enterprise and where are you as a leader trying to take it
1: well, there's two components. One is my personality. Um, another thing my mother once told me is that you're allergic to boredom, and she's right. So <laughs> once I do master something and it starts to becoming, I'll call it routine, it's not, not that it's necessarily easy, there's a part of me that's always like, what's the next thing? And that's what made me jump into social media before anybody thought it was gonna have anything to do with our work. We, you know, When people were still thinking it was, back in blackplanet.com days, when nobody thought it was gonna be anything, um, I had a, a real passion for that. So, part of it is this element of me that just likes to know what's the next thing going to be and, and to try to get ahead of it. The other part of it is being at a company. And, um, in, in, you know, first, you know, got to give all tribute to our founder, Earl Graves Sr., um, that put young people in leadership. I mean, my boss was 28 when she became managing editor here, and my boss and mentor, Sheryl here, at Tucker. I was 31. And so this idea that you get the most talented people possible and you maybe give them, let them bite off more than they can chew, (laughs) but let them and and get out of their way. And the ones that can survive are probably going to be pretty exceptional people. So that element, and then the other element is frankly not so much us being brilliant and bright and so called called ahead of the curve as a media company. It's like, what do you got to do to survive? We're, we're a small media company. We look a lot bigger than we are. We look like Forbes. We look like Fortune. But internally, we're less than 100 people. Um, we've never been more than 120 at our peak, not counting freelancers and other people. And so our company is special ops. One special ops guy can beat 20 general infantry guys. So we, we, we realized, and this is starting maybe 15 years ago, that In order to thrive and survive, you got to follow the money, (laughs) and the money was declining in print, and if you wanted to stay in business, you couldn't be reliant on any one platform. Fortunately, we had started events back in the 90s. We didn't think it was going to mean anything, Uh, but Butch Graves, our current CEO, recognized that most of our ad revenue was coming from event sponsors, and that the only way to continue to maintain revenue and ultimately grow revenue was to grow events because the event sponsors were far more likely to take out an ad in the magazine or, um, you know, do a digital campaign or at the time we had television shows sponsor some ads on the television shows. And so we, we kind of backed into it not because we were brilliant but because we were suffering like every media company was, particularly after the media recession in and, and 2008, 7, 2008. And if you look around you now, not just black media, but media in general, the, the media companies that are still standing, are not print dependent. If they're if they're printing at all, they're not print dependent. They have live events, they have and they have a robust digital activation. And then we have a muscle that we developed, not knowing we we're ever going to need it. We're known for being a, being excellent at our social media. We didn't know we were excellent at social media because it was free. <laughs> we were like, we could do this. We only got paid for it. But it turned out in in hindsight to be a major asset of black enterprise, not just compared to other um, ethnic media companies, but the media landscape in general. We're well known for being really good at, at flexing that that social media muscle, both for our platforms and in, in, in concert with other platforms. So all that to say that where we are, which is still a battle, trust me, if you're in the media business, it's still a battle, is, is a function of our willingness to let go of things That may have seemed comfortable to us. Um, You know, yeah, we could still be making vinyl records and CDs, and they could be the best vinyl records and CDs in the world, and still nobody gonna buy them when you can stream music. And if you look at a lot of, you know, some media companies that that are so married to, we publish magazines, and that's not the mindset here. Our, Our mindset is, we help black people succeed. Now, how do we stay in business? How do we do that profitably? And what do we need to do to do that? And now we're a quarterly magazine. Um, significant proportion of our, our subscriber base is digital. They get digital editions, not printed editions. And our core business is live events like Black Men Excel and digital amplification, whether it's social media or our website. We're launching more podcasts. Because that, that's not just what we want to do because we're in love with that. It's what we want to do because that's where the business is. And we want to stay in business. Yeah. And we want to grow.
0: Yeah. I gravitated to Black Enterprise specifically because of the B.E. Modern Man initiative. And it's one of the many intersections that we have in terms of your work and my work and where we come together. Tell me about what the inspiration was behind the B.E. Modern Man initiative. Uh, What was the genesis of it and what inspired that? Okay, true story.
1: It started from my still ongoing love-hate relationship with GQ. (laughs) That goes back to college. Why love-hate? Well, here's here's me. GQ is like you said. I, I love style. I love fashion. I love you know. I like I like seeing you know what men do and the variety of things that we do. And, it's and an art form. It's an art form. And mag and GQ, especially when it was at its peak as a magazine, it was just a beautiful magazine. I just I, I knew the editor. You know, a couple of editors I sat on boards with. So if you love magazines and you love style and you love clothes and you love fashion and you love lifestyle stuff for men. You know, obviously, GQ is an iconic brand, um, and I told you one of my career goals was to either become the first black editor at GQ Esquire, mm. and I kind of got a chance to even experience close to that when I was the number two editor at um, Modern Black Men at age only 26. But here's the deal. What, what, happened, what will happen with me is I'll, I'll subscribe to GQ, usually because somebody I like is on the cover. Tyson Beckford was on the cover one time. And I, I just remember these specific covers that would make me subscribe. Then maybe about seven months in, I'd be reading issue after issue after issue and realizing the only way a brother gets featured is if we play in the NBA, if we rap, um, or if if there's a Barack Obama on the horizon, then he may, you know. But there are people like me and you and you who are doing amazing, amazing things, but somehow it's invisible. So the last time this happened, my last straw was, the other thing is that, they rarely had women of color, and when they did, they were very narrow, you know, skin tone, body type, you know, model chick type of GQ woman of color. And I was like, anyway. So the last time this happened, they had a. It was the first issue, and they had a bunch of brown curvy women in the issue. You know why? They did a feature on Magic City, like a major feature on Magic For City. For those that
0: don't know, Magic City is the iconic. Strip club in uh, in Atlanta
1: Which is okay Except It was supposedly about The business of Magic City mm. But guess what All the pictures were of Of course You know And I was like You mean This is the only way You could like Show diversity of black women Was to And I came in To our We have our morning um, Editorial meetings um, That I I would come to And I'm I'm never in a bad mood Like I'm I'm, I'm notoriously You know I'm, I, I like having fun I'm not the person That comes in sour But that day I was like uh, people were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I complained. I was like, GQ, I was cussing. And um, we had a, a person in our marketing team on the digital marketing team at the time, Kelly Pierre-Louis, who, who was on the staff at the time. And she was like, screw them, let's start our own thing. And we didn't have this budgeted, we didn't have this planned, <laughs> Bush didn't know anything about it. We just launched BE Modern Man as like almost a gorilla thing. We just said, we're gonna make this digital campaign and, all, and we're going to crowdsource it so it's not just us in New York, because you know we have this bias New York, Atlanta, Chicago, DC, LA. And, and there's brothers all over the place doing things, but if you don't fall into those media nexuses, you can overlook them. So we're going to crowdsource this. We're going to get solicit nominations from all around the country. We're going to look for a certain element, style, doing interesting things, making impact, etc., And we want the broadest array of black men doing things that we can get um and black me like uh, you know we talked a little bit before we started the, this this conversation um not just a certain kind of black but black Asians black lat- black uh, um, afro-latinos like black in ways that people don't think of black even though we know that they're real because we we are those people
0: yeah expanding the definition
1: exactly and 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 the tagline which is still what it is today is extraordinary is our normal that the idea was like and what you see us doing is, n- is what we do every day. It's not like a special occasion. We're making contributions, we're doing these things, we're doing amazing things in every area of life, every area of endeavor, but nobody talks about it because the only time black people make mainstream news, victim, perpetrator, athlete, entertainer, Barack Obama. Those are the, fi- the five boxes. If you don't fall into those boxes, you know, when I say Barack Obama, Jay-Z, you know, the, the exceptionals. But if you, but if you're, you're you're doing amazing things every day, I'm doing amazing things every day, and at Black Enterprise we live in kind of a reverse reverse bubble because that's the world we live in. All we see every day is Black people doing amazing things every day, so we almost take it for granted. We that it's like a, a back a reverse world that we live in. But we, I'm always conscious of the fact that the outside world thinks that even us, that we're a fantasy. Like I don't know if you remember. Okay, now I like to talk to (laughs)
0: you.
1: Do you remember when um, Boomerang first came out? I don't
0: know if you remember Yeah, Eddie Murphy. One of the
1: big controversies was a a critic for the LA Times, and you could probably find this. It was pre-digital, so I don't know how how well archived it is online. Criticized the movie because they said Boomerang was just as much of a fantasy as Coming to America.
0: Why? Because it depicted a successful black man? A
1: successful black company, run by black people, stylish. But that company was modeled after Johnson Products Company and Burrell Advertise, like like these are companies we wrote about every day at Black Enterprise and I remember um, Terry Williams of the Terry Williams Agency, who who, who literally just retired, um, who represented Eddie Murphy I believe at the time, had to do a rebuttal column saying you think this is a fantasy but this is a real thing, that this is we live like this, this is what we do and so it's almost an extension of that, that that I know black men Doing amazing things in every walk of life, but because—so anyway, GQ is my my. They're not the only ones that do it, but they're the biggest one. Because I'm like, you got brothers with all kinds of style, doing all kinds of amazing things, traveling and 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 food and cuisine. You know, you think of all the different things that make up what's supposed to be the GQ persona: well-read and you know, right. high-level cuisine and gourmet and travel. We do all of that and we've been doing all that for generations. Who brought style to America? Who, where, does, where does America look to, to even get their style? Right. Whether it's me rocking my bow tie or you rocking what you're, you know what I'm saying? We know who they looking at. Yeah. So anyway, I'm getting so, excited. So now.
0: I mean to that point, what, who are some of your favorite B modern men? Like because we, we just talked about...
1: You mean the, the people that we've named?
0: Yeah, the, the folks that you've named that are not necessarily the celebrity name, right? Because that's what we get so bogged down in. We, we kind of get so enamored with the, the Jay-Zs of the world and, you know, the people that ha- have reached this iconic status that become somewhat unrelatable, un- right, or um, unattainable in terms of their success. So who are the maybe two or three names that you can think of off the top of your head that resonate for you that are still examples of what people can aspire to?
1: Whew, let me see. Well, I I was just talking about this young man, Armando Braswell, um, um, who, if I just gave you his name and left out that he was a black male, but I told you everything else about him, Juilliard, um, him and his wife own a dance school in, again, I believe it's Switzerland, Let's see Switzerland or Sweden, I get it mixed up, Um, choreographed for all the European dance companies, and if I wrote all his credentials down and didn't say black male, you would not think black male. You would think maybe German or, you know, not even American, maybe, <laughs> you know, Russian. Yet this kid straight out of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. You know, Armando Braswell. So, again, you go to blackenterprise.com and Google Armando Braswell, look him up. Uh, but there's also people like um, um, Philip Roundtree. Yeah, I, like, I love A Philip. major champion. And there's a bunch of brothers now who yeah. are major champions in the mental health mental fitness battle, not only for black men, for, but for black people. But Philip um, has the You Good Man podcast. He's done great TED Talks on, on um, mental health in the black community. He shared his own experiences of, of his brother committing suicide and his mother just sending him to school the next day like nothing happened, even though she was clearly damaged and traumatized and so was he. And again, great work every single day. But if it wasn't for BE Modern Men, and if it wasn't for Black Men Excel, now people are knowing who he is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to some degree. But he's not the kind of guy that would, anybody would pay attention to. But I think if he was a white dude doing the exact same thing on behalf of men in general, which means white men in America, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it would have been like, oh, look, this interesting guy doing this interesting thing that's addressing, you know, male toxicity in, in, in America. It's, it's like the Me Too movement, which was started by black women, suddenly became...
0: You know, think, they're doing sure.
1: magazine covers, and it's five white women, and the black woman who started it is a footnote if she's mentioned at all. Uh, so, 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 you know, Philip, yeah, Philip Browntree, and Armando Braswell are two great examples of black men who are doing things that people don't associate mainstream black men with doing. But even, even, we, it's not that there's no, there's no celebrities among the BE Modern Men. Um, they're just not on the. They're not be modern man because of their celebrities. right? So, and that's so, that's the point, right? Yeah, that's what I'm to get uh, Laz Alonso at. is yep. a be modern man. Yep. Um, um, Lamont Rucker, mm-hmm. who I met, um, and, you know, people who I think know that they're actors, very um, um, prominent TV and film actors. But Lamont, I met in the context of community service. I found out later he was an actor, so he's not. He didn't make be modern man because he's a well known actor who was in, you know, Why Did I Get Married in other films, he was only because of the work he was doing on the ground as a black man, whether he was an actor or not. And those are the kinds of stories that we look to
0: tell. Yeah, and that's what I love about not only the evolution of the BE Modern Man campaign and initiative, but now the Black Men Excel conference that is in its third year this year Um, Last year I attended as a participant, just kind of being a fly on the wall, and this year I've been honored, uh, thanks to you and the team, as one of 2019's BE Modern Men, but also I'm going to be a part of a conversation that we're going to curate. So tell me about the evolution and and what was the decision behind creating this as a physical space a conference um, in terms of going from the BE Modern Man initiative to now this Black Men Excel conference.
1: So there's three main elements that that caused us to come together. One is BE Modern Man, again, was was created like almost on a whim. It wasn't like we had a strategy around it. So it existed for two going on three years, and the question became, well, what do we have this for? Like, why are we doing this? What's the business reason? I mean, we had some sponsored events, but it didn't have any real fit in the larger scheme of things of our company. So part of it was, what are we going to do with this BE Modern Man thing? The second element was we had our most successful franchise to date, which is Women of Power. Um, the Executive Leadership Conference for Women, Black Women, even um, though women of color in general attend, even white women attend now because it's, it's that strong that that is like the juggernaut, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And, and those of us men who got to go to Women of Power would always leave there saying, Man, we need something like this so badly. So, so you had, you had B.E. Modern Man that was trying to find a, a reason to be from a business standpoint. You had Women of Power which was like the standard bearer for what we want to accomplish for men, but we didn't have anything. And the third thing is that we were very well known for the Black Enterprise Golf and Tennis Challenge. It one of our first events we started in, in the mid-90s, but the th- times that changed. When we started that event, Tiger was an amateur, Venus and Serena were giving tennis lessons at our event when they were teenagers, and this idea of black people playing golf and tennis was a big deal. Now it wasn't so, such a big deal and we were like, what are we gonna do with this event? So all those three things came together and we said, let's transform the golf, what was the Golf and Tennis Challenge by adding real content to the event around celebrating black men, use it as the platform to celebrate BE Modern Men, present what we call the Excel Awards, which is the counterpart to the Legacy Awards at Women of Power, and see what happens. FedEx bought into it right away. Walmart bought into it right away. Like the sponsors was like, "Yes," it, yeah. and most importantly, the first time we announced the event was at Women of Power two years ago oh. or three years ago, and we couldn't even get the words out of our mouth before the women were like, "Up,
0: oh. yeah." And you know, it's funny yeah. you mention that because I run a platform called The Lives of Men, and the second question I get usually from women is, "Is this only for for men?" And I say no, because it's indirectly for Men, yes, but it's a, it's about giving women a, a glimpse into the lives of men and what we're thinking about, what we're feeling. And so it's no surprise that they reacted with such pleasure that we're going to create, that you guys were going to create this because women want to know what's on our minds and it's, what's in our hearts. And, and the uh,
1: only people that want us to be healthier, want more for us in terms of our health than us, is them. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes more than we want it for ourselves. Yeah. And, and so we have the same... Uh, mandate, we have to purposely market to them to say, this is not just for us to get together amongst ourselves. We want you.
0: So, yeah, why is that important, right? Because, again, most people that might be listening are like, oh, well, I can't attend most women. I can't attend that. That's just for men. What would you say to them?
1: It's a celebration. Mm see that's the other thing. When we started doing our research around whether we should do this event, whether we should what we did is we found out there were a lot of events serving men. I mean, there's a lot, Uh, you you know, and great work. Whether it's the fraternities, you know, the Black Greek fraternities, where it's the 100 Black Men, um, whether it's you know, uh, you know, traditional civil rights organizations, so it's not that work was not being done around the challenges that we face. The problem was that that's the only work that was being done. It was in the context of our dysfunctionality and our us being either a problem to be solved or somebody to be rescued. And while those things are real and need to be addressed, I'm like, no, but we need to celebrate what we do, like it's a celebration. And how are you gonna have a real celebration and then tell our our sisters, our girlfriends, our wives, we don't need you. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's designed to have fun. We have a concert night, we have comedy. It's not designed for us to all get together and feel bad about being black men. The goal is for us to leave there feeling great about being black men and knowing that whatever obstacles we face, we can triumph. And so you want your biggest cheerleaders in the room and, and, and you want them to understand that even though it's about us, we want you to understand where we're coming from. So it's important to have you in the room to listen to us talk about how we feel about toxic masculinity and the counterbalance about against vulnerability and how while vulnerability is good, we could, as black men in our history in this country, vulnerability could also get us killed. And so, you know, it's important for them to hear that. So that when we go back home and we're now interacting, whether it's as co-workers, as spouses, as parents, or whatever, they have as a, a visceral un- appreciation for who we are as black men. Not just that they just love us and they want us to succeed, but they can get a feel for what it, what we are really dealing with, and they can be real allies even more so.
0: Because it's about building stronger communities. It is At about building
1: stronger communities, That's, and we got to do that together. Now, I women agree. of power, they don't need – I mean, it's an executive leadership event, so it's kind of a different kind of event. It's much more corporate. They don't they don't mind us being there the men that are there sure. but they don't need us you know sisters they're like me and my girls get together <laughs> we'll get back to you right. But for us I think it's a little different. I, I, th- I think we need a safe space but I also think that that we we welcome the these the, the, the companionship we want to have fun we want to have fun with each other but we also want to have fun with everybody and and, uh, and black men Excel is designed to make that.
0: Um, work for us. Let's talk about some of the programming, right? Because in the past, I know you've done a lot around mental health. You just mentioned Phil Roundtree, uh, who's there last year. I got a pl- uh, chance to meet him. This year, we're doing a lot more around male vulnerability, uh, and I'm specifically, uh, we're curating a panel uh, where we're going to be talking about crying, right? And and I think it's loosely titled uh, Cry Like a Man, right? Based on Jason Wilson's book. yes. yes. Uh, but why is that important? Why do you think that message particularly resonates now, and how do you plan on addressing that going forward? Well, What we've
1: discovered, um, particularly with BE Modern Men, um, is that a lot of this work was already being done, but whether it's about changing our perceptions of who we are as men, dealing with mental health, dealing with vulnerability, dealing with the connection between mental health or lack thereof, education achievement or lack thereof, and the prison pipeline, a lot of that work is being done, Campaign for Black Male Achievement. I mean, I can name organization after organization, but most of the time we're kind of isolated. So one of the things that Black Enterprise has historically um, been able to do over the years is to connect all these dots so that we realize, no, we're a broader national and often international community, and if we can all plug into each other, then we can move that movement forward. And, and the, the conversation around mental health how that ended up happening is that many of the BE modern men that kept surfacing were men who were doing great work with the mental health of boys and families and communities, but nobody thought of black men as caring about mental health. And th- the first year we wanted to do a mental health session, and everybody was afraid. that. not the first year. Then we did it the second year. We had 600-plus people in the room. I could tell you, as, as you know, most black, traditional black communities, if you can get 30 people in a room, that's a big deal.
0: Especially around mental health. Yes, like around mental health
1: yeah, and yeah. willing to listen and talk about right. it. And, and, But it's all about, just as it is for Women of Power, creating a safe space and communicating that this is going to be safe and, and you're going to be relieved to be able to really openly discuss it. But that happened because the BE Modern Men that we had met three years before we started the event, we were like, we got all these brothers who are like doing yoga and they're using all kinds of relaxation techniques, or they're therapists, like you know, like you mentioned, Phil Roundtree, Jay Barnett, um, you know, who are like, no, we're not waiting for permission to get healed anymore. We're not waiting for people to be cool with it. We're going to deal with our own healing. And many, in many cases, because we are, we we are surviving for ourselves. I mean, Jay was somebody who attempted suicide at least once, maybe even twice when he realized he wasn't gonna have a football career and he had (laughs) unresolved issues with his father. I mean, so we're, we're, uh, those of us who are survivors are like, you know what, we ain't waiting for permission anymore. And so I think Black Men Excel, BE Modern Men, The Lives of Men, Black Campaign for Black Male Achievement, all these movements, I think we're reaching a critical mass in terms of a, a really great leap forward for black men and black people and God right now in the current environment, if we didn't need it, we need it now. Um, and so I think all those things are, are coming together and to make these conversations relevant. And more importantly, people want to ha- are willing to have the conversation. We almost had to give each other permission yep. to say, okay, I'm, I'll talk about it. Will you talk about it? <laughs> exactly. And once we say, okay, we're down, then we can have the conversation.
0: Sure, sure. So for those folks that are listening, why should they make all attempts to be in Miami this year for Black Men Excel? First, this is your opportunity to like really, not that you need to, but.
1: It's a a one-of-a-kind event. There's no event that celebrates black men as the solution, not the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, you're not the problem. You may face problems, you may have problems, but you're not the problem. But we're the only demographic, um, black women too, but black men in particular, I think. We turn on the news, we're the problem. If, if, you know, whatever the conversation is, we're something to be fixed. And at Black Men Excel, we're like, no, we are not the problem, we're the solution we always have been, and that context is very, very rare. And then you going to have fun. I mean, whether it's the golf, whether it's the, the pool party, whether it's the comedy night, whether it's, I mean, I go to a lot of conferences and events, and again, those events are necessary, so this is no disrespect. But sometimes I come away feeling like, oh my God, how are we gonna make it? Like, oh my God, we might as well just throw in the, t-. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We have to address those issues. This is an event where you'll come out like, well, you've been there. Yeah. Oh, we, not only are we going to make it,
0: we're thriving, <laughs> we're
1: thriving right. you know, and that's the truth. We are thriving. The degree to which we think we're not is because we're being convinced that we're not. The vast majority of black men have never seen the inside of a jail cell. The the vast majority of black men are not just making babies all over the place. The vast majority of black men have never held a gun. I held a gun for the first time in my life because I sat on a jury duty last year, (laughs) and I broke the gun, I dropped it, (laughs) and I broke the plastic off the gun. So what I'm saying is what we've been doing is we've been defined and, and therefore started to define ourselves by the proportion of us, as with all humanity, that is dysfunctional. Each of us is dysfunctional in some way as individuals, and every human being, every group, has some dysfunctionality. So this is not about pretending that crime's not an issue, that education's not an issue, that that our, our legacy uh, uh, in terms of the oppression and abuse that we've had over the centuries, those are issues, but they don't define us. We are defined by excellence, we're defined by achievement, against the odds, we're defined by our ability to be brilliant with you know less tools and less resources, mm-hmm. And that's, so it's about changing the context of the conversation, and this is the only event that I know of, certainly the only national event that I know of, that you walk in and you're not being told, oh, we're going, to, we're going to fix you, bro. We're going to teach you how to read and we're going to get you to, you know, walk up and pull up your pants and walk. No, we're going to say, no, you're fine just the way you are, like, bro. welcome. Welcome, welcome. to celebrate. Good to see you, good to, you know, let's, 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 let's have a good time. And, 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 and so the only thing I say to people is the same thing with women of power. I can tell you how great Women of Power is, but when you come, then you don't have to, you know, it's not just another woman's event or even another black woman's event. And there's no event like this for black men um, and no event that a woman can go to and enjoy themselves and get as much out of it as if it was for them, because in a way it is. The healthier we are, the healthier they are. And and the same thing with women, the healthier they are, the healthier we are. So all, all I can say is it's a great way just the Excel Awards night alone when you, we honored um, T.G. Jakes and Ken Chenault last year and Tommy Smith from the Olympics. The first year we honored John Lewis and Robert Townsend and and um, my man uh, that started the uh, African American Smithsonian Museum. Now he's headed the whole Smithsonian. I can't call his name out real quick. But there's no – think of an event that black men are celebrated just for being black men. I'm not talking about getting an NAACP Image Award because you're a great actor or TV, you know, television actor or entertainer. I'm not talking about an SP award because you're a great athlete. There's no award that you get because you're just an outstanding black man. You know, there you go. Now there is the Excel (laughs) Awards. (laughs) Right. And now we have BE Modern Men that celebrates who you are, who I am every day. Extraordinary is our normal. This is what we
0: do every day. There you go. So last question, Yes. what is your definition of a good man? A
1: good man increases the health and well-being of everybody around them. They bring safety, security, health and well-being to everybody they engage with. It's also my definition of a grown man because not every adult male is a grown man.
0: I think that's a great way to end this because you just dropped a bomb at the end of this. So, Alfred, thank you again for being a guest. Oh, my pleasure, I appreciate you, brother. My pleasure. And um, we're going to see each other soon in about a month in Miami. So I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, for everyone that's listening, make sure that y'all check out Black Enterprise, Black Men Excel, uh, BlackEnterprise.com. And I'm sure all the information is on the website. Alfred, where, where can they find you on social media?
1: I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., A-L-F-R-E-D, E-D-M-O-N-D-J-R, everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If I haven't met you, I'm not going to connect with you on LinkedIn. (laughs) So you can look for me, but I got to at least have met you before. (laughs) But the other platforms I I follow, I engage, I love social media, and and I'm looking forward to connecting with people. And you can also follow me at The Grown Zone. We're at G-R-O-W-N-Z-O-N-E. Um, that's on all social media platforms, particularly Instagram and Twitter, and we have Facebook groups. And that is a company and a brand started by my wife, Zara Green, and I, um, that really focuses on healthy relationships. Um, but I'd say that there's a difference between adult behavior and grown behavior. Grown behavior is healthy. So um, we also are the authors of a book called Loving in the Grown Zone, that, that's, that's one of the top books in this space. But it's all about having a real decision-making framework for making healthy relationships of honor, esteem, and respect. And while we're best known for having that discussion in the context of romantic relationships, the truth is that all healthy relationships have the same components, whether it's sibling to sibling, employee to worker, um, you know, parent to child, whatever it is. There's, there's certain components of a healthy relationship sustainers that have to be there for the relationship to be healthy for all parties involved and for it to be able to keep going and sustain itself. So the Grown Zone is something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, again, it has a whole separate social media brand um, and the success series that I, that I talked about is under that umbrella. So if you go to grownzone.com forward slash success series and it's, it's my monthly uh, class that I teach in Newark, New Jersey, around all aspects of success, money, wealth, relationships, entrepreneurship, et cetera.
0: So there you have it, y'all. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Hey Jason. I'll see y'all here next time. Peace.